1: Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Verisage Institute colleague, Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, we're having our Social Entrepreneur Summit with previous guests, Kimberly Josephson and Sam Staley. Hey, Ed, how's it going? Ron, it's
2: going great. I can hardly wait for this conversation. i looking forward to it for all week, actually for longer than that, since we've, we booked this uh, about two months ago.
1: Yeah, we have two professors, so we're not going to do much talking, Ed. I have a feeling today, but let me <laughs> let me read them in. But they are they are fan favorites, so our listeners yes. know. But uh, just maybe for new listeners, we have Dr. Kimberly Josephson. She's an associate professor of business, associate dean for the Breen Center of Graduate Success at Lebanon Valley College in Annville, Pennsylvania, and she's also an adjunct research fellow with the Consumer Choice Center. She has been on before, back in October of 2021, episode 360. She teaches courses covering global sustainability, international marketing, and workplace diversity. And Sam Staley is the director of the DeVoe-Moore Center. He teaches advanced undergraduate and professional master's courses in social entrepreneurship, economic development land use and regulation urban policy and research methods prior to joining florida state dr staley was the robert w galvin fellow at reason foundation a public policy think tank in los angeles he was on the show back in november episode 367 discussed and we discussed his book the beatles in economics which i i still love it's a great book sam Uh, so welcome back uh kimberly and sam to the soul of enterprise
3: Thank you so much for having us. Thank oh, you. This, this is
1: great. Oh, this will be a blast. So I'm going to start really basic, and I'll, I'll throw this question to either of you, but uh, or both of you, actually. What is social entrepreneurship?
3: Sure. Well, I do know that uh, Sam actually teaches courses on this, and I cover it in my courses. But maybe since you are um, you know, the expert in this realm, if you want to share what it is that you cover in your courses, and then I'll piggyback off of that.
4: Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting because I always hesitate a little bit when someone asks me to define it, because it is it, it's different depending on who you're talking to, and people have different conceptions of what it is. And I also teach it in a very specific way, in the context of where I am. I work, which is in the College of Social Sciences, which is different from what you would find in our school, our Jim Moran School of Entrepreneurship at the Florida State which has a somewhat different take on it. And the way I look at, though, look at it though, is at the end of the day, social entrepreneurship is using the tools and the frameworks of business to solve social problems. And I think that's about as general as you can get. I think that's where a good chunk of people in this space would conceive of it. And then we kind of branch out from there. And so a lot of it has to do with the intent of the enterprise. And then, if you're working more in the nonprofit space, people talk more about innovation. I, on the other hand, am very much focused on the entrepreneurship and the enterprise component of it. So Does that sound vaguely familiar, Kimberly.
3: Oh, very <laughs> much so. So I, I actually, when I think of um, social entrepreneurship and when I teach it, um, I usually reference Michael Porter's concept of shared value. So meeting a social problem or a you know public need with a profit motive type of element to it. it's, it's kind of a revamped version of applying the stakeholder mindset, which was actually something that we were all chatting about just before going, going live. But, uh, you know, as a business professor, I often come up with corny ways to help my students remember things. And so I have this this term. I use the SPICE model for when we talk about stakeholders. And so the S is society. The P is partners. So those are our suppliers, our distributors, our you know strategic alliances. I as investors, C as customers, and E as employees, right? But there are many stakeholders, the media, the government, right? There's there's just, it's, it's ongoing. Um, but I also like to think, and this is my other kind of cheesy play on words, is a little spice is nice, right? But really, we have to focus on the core of the business because mm-hmm. there are conflicting um, expectations, views, what's required when you have, uh, you know, yeah, different stakeholders with different interests. And the same thing with social entrepreneurship, right? Um, this is a kind of really broad and somewhat vague term in, tr- in regards to generating social value. Um, and if you even wanna tie it to uh, the concept of, you know, we people, planet, profit, right? We want to do well for, you know, people also for the planet and also, you know, be economically viable. Um, but once again, that can be very conflicting. Um, like So, for example, a really easy to understand example is like let's say uh, an organization wants to um, help fund the formation of a playground, right, for a local park. And we'd say, oh, well, that would be great for the community. Um, but you might have, you know, environmental concerns of the installation of that playground, right? Um, so, with social entrepreneurship, sometimes you can muddy the waters a bit because you are um, looking into too many different realms. Um, but. I'm sure we're going to dive into that a little
2: bit yeah. more. Yeah, let me let me jump in because this is the example that I was was uh, had this week. Right, it was a, it was a, f- a fairly good one. We were on a call with our, our CEO, and a question was asked about I- inflation and the effects of inflation on employee salaries. And you know, should what, what should we do about uh, to making sure that we take care of our employees by potentially increasing salaries? And he said, well, that would have some ripple effects because that would end up with a, with a price increase to customers, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then 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 of course we also have this. Thing Thing, which is very honorable called the sage foundation and which is uh, our, our our wing that does uh, s- social good through the through the the corporation we dedicate i think it's two percent of our profits t- toward that uh, don't quote me on that i might have not have the particulars correctly but you see all of these are coming into conflict because i can say well you can make the argument well maybe we should reduce the contribution to the sage foundation and instead spend some more money on employees right so where where do you go with it <laughs> sam respond to that
4: yeah yeah so i think you know, this is kind of where the problem, what we run into. So I distinguished between social problems and issues and social entrepreneurship and social enterprise. So there there are so many social problems and issues that we have to address. A subset of that can be handled through social enterprise. And I'm actually not a big fan of corporate responsibility, um, the, that whole trend, because I think that actually takes uh, the, takes our eyes off the main issues. I mean, I do... So in my, the way we teach it at, at Florida State and the way I teach it is that profit's good and the price system is good. And, the, and so what we don't wanna do is start diverting ourselves away from the benefits of the price system and what profits are doing, which is addressing and solving a lot and creating a lot of social value. So what we're trying to do is really say, okay, if we, there are some things that we're not going to solve through the conventional business model, But we're not gonna solve through the conventional economy. And I, I'll give you an example, something, and by the way, one of the beautiful things about the way I teach it is that I learn new stuff all the time. Like it wasn't until I, I knew uh, last semester, 80% of people diagnosed with autism with a four-year degree are unemployed. That is a very difficult problem to solve. And so the question is, and I do think that if you have people who are able to get a four-year degree and are employable, that if they are not able to get a job, that is a problem. And that is something that's worth focusing some attention on and trying to figure out how we address that. But it's not clear to me at all that a conventional business model is going to be very helpful um, in addressing that part of the problem. And so the question is, how do you design an enterprise model that is profit oriented, that recognizes the value of the price system and markets in a way that allows those people in that particular area, that target group, to be integrated into the mainstream economy so that they are adding value and they're actually able to sort of leverage whatever talents they have? And so what I think of So that's where we approach it. And yes, there are lots of other issues and stakeholders, but what I found is that when businesses focus on corporate responsibility, they end up, it, it just doesn't fit a conventional business model very well. The money gets wasted and invested in the wrong places. So a large part of what we're trying to do is think about ways that we can divert it into socially beneficial ways, but also is validated through the market. Because that's where you know if the value is actually being created. And it's complicated. It is, it is not easy. In fact, that's one of the lessons I really drive home is that, that I don't know if Kimberly uses this, but in a lot of entrepreneurship curriculum, we have what's called a lean business model canvas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's actually a great way to put on one page all the things you need to do to get a business off the ground and to run it and then think about how all those components work talk about channels talk about partners all of this well in a social enterprise the customer and the beneficiary are different and they're explicit typically in a lean business model canvas the customer is the beneficiary and so you're able to integrate that when you have when you separate that it becomes more complicated and it's definitely not about saying that conventional for profit businesses are bad or somehow under are inefficient or not socially valuable. It's about thinking differently about how we address certain kinds of issues and problems in the economy, and a way to get the market to work more effectively and become more inclusive. And it's—I'm um, not going to say it's a, a, an easy thing uh, to do at all. Um, but what I run into when I'm talking to my colleagues who are not necessarily profit-oriented, because I'm in the College of Social Sciences, you have sociologists and. We don't have social work, but there are people with very similar world views. Um, There is a hostility to profit. Um, And I've worked in the nonprofit sector most of my career, so I understand all of that and all of those issues as well. But social entrepreneurship, the way I look at it is it's sustainable social change. Um, Nonprofit work is not sustainable, and we can go into a whole lot of other questions about that but um, unfortunately a lot of that is from hard experience from my uh, being in leadership positions and fundraising but if we get a social enterprise off the ground it is sustainable and then whatever benefits uh, whatever advantages come to those beneficiaries who are traditionally left out of the customer stakeholder part end up benefiting if we can scale and so that's kind of the framework that we use and it's also about making these social problems explicit. In other words, corporate, uh, what is corporate responsibility? Responsibility to what? To whom? And how do we actually make sure the, any investments we're making are actually paying off? Of course, that's impact investment, which is a different thing as well. So to me it's, uh, but it, it's, uh, we start with really hard problems and try to see how it gets integrated into a market-based framework. But in my, the way I teach it and the way we think about it, profit is central, Um, is central to the success of it. So that makes it a little different. And Kimberly may have different experiences uh, talking to people about um, social entrepreneurship. So I'm curious as to her thoughts.
3: Yeah, Uh, yeah. Well, and and also too, uh, so I know we're coming up on a break pretty soon, but um, I'm actually going to kind of flip it. I'm more interested in CSR that's tapered versus uh, social entrepreneurship. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to provide more on that. Uh, Ed, for, for what it is your organization is doing, I go back to that fiduciary responsibility. If you made a commitment to the Sage Foundation, you abide by that. You know, If you want to institute a COLA, cost of living adjustment, like think about the ramifications and precedent that sets. If it is going to generate a greater return in that your employees will be satisfied, will be productive, will be sane, and you do have to increase their Salary, um, as long as you are sure that that is going to bring a, about a, a you know a return. But thinking also, we don't know what's going to happen next week, next month, right? And so once you give a little, there might also be needs for that. Um, but if you are afraid your employees are going to leave because they have better options and better pay grades opportunities elsewhere, you know, then that's something that your organization will have to do, and it's more so out of need rather than out of the morality of it that we want to. Of course you want to, it's can you? And then can you sustain that?
2: Yeah, I, I I think that's 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 right. And as Russ Roberts, who's a fan favorite here of ours as well, is like it's it's complicated it, on almost every episode of the of, of his, his his podcast. He says at some point, it's it's complicated, <laughs> and yeah. and I think that's that's one of the challenges that that clearly we're facing, including the definitional stuff. But we are against our break. I want to remind you, you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage Of course, the website is the Soul of Enterprise, where you can get show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. We do have a Patreon channel where you can hear the show without commercial interruption, as well as our bonus episodes that we record usually after the show. And we want to remind you that that Patreon channel is sponsored by 90 Minds. You need a mind, get one at 90minds.com. But right now, a word from our sponsors. <laughs> Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at Keyword Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients.
5: a commercial free version of the soul of enterprise go to patreon.com tsoe and subscribe now have you listened to so many of my ads that it's corroded your soul i absolutely have what if i told you that you could listen to my voice for an entire podcast I'd say that approximately half of the podcast is actually my voice. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. And I'm Caleb Newquist. We're launching a new podcast called Oh My Fraud. Ron and Ed explore the soul of enterprise. Caleb and I explore fraud, which is more like the herpes of enterprise. Go to wherever you get your podcast and download Oh, oh My Fraud. fraud.
0: We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
1: Well, welcome back, everybody. We're doing our Social Entrepreneurship Summit with Dr. Kimberly Josephson and Sam Staley. And and Sam, just um, I'm, I'm curious that so you gave that autism example. And I'm, I'm really interested in your view of how this, how social entrepreneurship impacts and coordinates with the for-profit sector.
4: Yeah. Uh, well, one of the things that I think this is one of the beauties of the for-profit sector is that the profit motive requires us to focus on things that we can monetize, which means it's also things that people value. So, what happens in, in and of course, the course I teach and the one I've been um, designing at Florida State is an entrepreneurial model. In other words, it's very, it's also flipped in the sense that every student identifies a social problem, we workshop that, and then come up with the business. And so, the key then is to figure out what what is the problem that's not being addressed. And then how do we come up with a way to address that issue? And it's usually through the creation of a new business. It's not through trying to modify an existing business. And it certainly is not trying to just persuade people that I'm right and you're wrong. Um, And so the, the, the key is to get those interests in alignment. And part of that, and it's really remarkable how creative people can be I, I keep telling people I wish I had a hundred thousand dollars every year where I could take, I could seed four of these enterprises out of my cinema seminar because I think there's enough viability that they could get off the ground. Um, and it's all over the place from everything from clean water. We actually have someone. this Well, semester I'm going to interrupt
2: semester. you. And I, I heard yeah. one that you ta- you said talk about socks. Tell tell the the one about. Ah. I I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. yeah.
4: Yeah, so this, uh, so I, the company's name is Divvy Up Socks, and they're actually uh, based out of Tallahassee. And essentially it started because two students at FSU wanted to address problems of homelessness. Um, very tangible, very visible problem. It's natural for people to think about that. So, well, um, yeah, they came to one of our entrepreneurs and residents and said, we're interested in uh, doing something about the homelessness. And the entrepreneur and resident said, what do you know about homelessness? They said, well, people are on the street, right? So they're homeless. They <laughs> say, well, why don't you go down and talk to people at the homeless shelter and ask them what their need is? Because if you don't know, you don't know the customer, you don't know the beneficiary, you don't know what the need is. I mean, this is classic design engineering, right? Design thinking. Um, so they went down and they realized, and they thought, and they asked the shelter uh, folks, what do they need? And they said, socks. People are giving us clothes, people are giving us food, but you know, homeless people are outside, 24, 20, maybe 18 hours a day, all kinds of weather, they need good durable socks. So what they came up with was what we, is a one for, what's called a one for one model. They would create, they came up with a technology uh, to design custom socks. So you actually send them an image, they print the image on your sock. And so through the private market, people buy these socks and you can have your dog on it, you have your mom on it, whatever it might be. Mark Zuckerberg actually has a pair. He actually put them on Facebook at one point. Um, but then for every pair of socks that they sell, they donate a pair of, heart, of well-designed socks for out, rugged outdoor living to homeless shelters. And now I think they are active in 40 states, um, giving, just getting socks to homeless shelters um, in uh, oh, you know, over hundred different shelters. And so as a customer, I can go buy these socks and I get my dog on my sock because I love my dog. At the same time, I'm sending a pair of socks to my local homeless shelter and I know I'm doing something that's tangible and beneficial to address a problem. Now it doesn't get people off the streets, but it's a very narrow it's an example of a very narrow, focused, highly effective way to address a component of a social problem which is extraordinarily complex. It's um, as I tell people I've been active in sort of the homeless um, advocacy area for a while, every homeless person, if you've seen a homeless person, you've seen a homeless person. Everyone has their own story. So trying to figure out what they need and what can be most helpful is literally a case by case basis. So mm-hmm. what is very effective about what Divvy Up Sox has done is that they've identified a very specific area where they can have a tangible impact. And then they built a for-profit model around that which has done very well and it's sold over a million socks.
1: kimberly thoughts on that yeah because sure. I, 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 I saw when you are i was reading one of your articles yesterday kimberly and you mentioned this this b1 g1 type m- movement some other things so yeah i know you have ideas on this
3: yeah yeah and i am sure that the company is great and actually it's it's bringing to mind because there are a few companies that do this not just uh even you know the famous tom shoes which maybe we could talk a little bit about that but mm-hmm. um, socks, particularly, uh, I think Bombas does the same thing. Um, so th- there's actually even competition in the mm-hmm. <laughs> buy a yeah, pair of socks, get a pair of right, socks yeah. type right. of thing. Um, so, so yeah, so something that I was saying before is I'm, I'm not necessarily opposed to CSR that is really uh, somewhat desired, not required. Um, uh, in the past, I've brought up Archie Carroll's, uh, so Professor Carroll's famous CSR pyramid, where it's you have your economic responsibility, your legal responsibility, your Ethical responsibility. And there at the top, you have a philanthropic that, if you can give back and if it's to uh, really the advantage of your shareholders in a certain realm, um, that it might make sense to do so. So, you know, if you want to contribute to a community 5K or that type of thing, you know, by all means, um, but also keep it within your realm and area of expertise. Um, I'll give you an, an example that's very current of a buy one, um, get one that I actually think makes sense because it's within the wheelhouse of this organization. Kellogg's is doing a Feed America campaign and on their cereal boxes. So my daughter likes these frosted mini wheats, um, not super healthy, uh, tasty, (laughs) uh, but she likes them. And it has on the box, right? Buy one, Give one, and when you scan the QR code, you can either get it yourself, um, or you can contribute it to a local food bank. So it really puts um, kind of the control in the consumer, in that hey, I'm buy- I'm paying for this product, um, and I can decide whether or not you know I want to donate it, or if hey, my household needs it, right? So it's this Feed America campaign. It makes sense because. It's serial, it's what they're already doing. And this is really just a glorified BOGO campaign, right? That companies already do when they have excess inventory. So it's within their wheelhouse, right? What makes me a little nervous uh, is actually when you do have a company that is focused solely on the social, so solely on their intent of making a difference. I'm a little concerned, especially for young people who are. Wanting to uh, tackle these big problems and maybe don't have enough experience or understanding of the business model. Um, And we saw that with Tom's. I mean, Tom's uh, was launched essentially in uh, the early 2000s, right? And it's because actually the founder went on the amazing race on TV, went to Argentina, saw the need. Um, I think it was like around 2006, right? Came back, um, actually stole the design. That design for shoes was something that was already being done in Argentina. So it wasn't even creative in terms of coming up with the own the slip-on design, like that was an existing design. So kind of copycatted that. Um, took that, did the buy one, get one, or got buy one, give one campaign that we know kind of, did not have really great results. Um, and they actually even had to, at one at one point, they even did a, I think they did an assessment and was like, well, what if we give out the shoes to school children as in they've earned it by going to school? Because it wasn't getting much of a response, right? And then also you have that competition where I think it was only a couple of years later in 2010, Skechers created Bob's, which was Tom's, same thing, looked the same, copycat model, and they gave away two fa- two free pairs of shoes, and they were much cheaper than Toms, right? Um, mm. So I, I really, I. You know, Americans tend to be very charitable and very giving, and the combination of this conscious consumption really makes it a little bit too easy for us. It would make more sense for me to buy a pair of shoes at Walmart and take that 70 bucks and donate it, you know, to an NGO or to one of these um, organizations already vested in it versus spending $78 on a pair of Tom's shoes and then find out, you know, after the fact. And also for Tom's, um, you know, their shoes, that was the hero product that we call them marketing. So hero meaning like that's their namesake, right? You think of Tom's, you think of shoes. And at some point you reach this point of saturation, whereas the same thing with socks, at some point, you know, uh, they are going to need to di- diversify, right? And this is also the beauty of a market system is that you do have profit that signals to you what the market wants. and satisfaction and providing value will be ever present. A social problem, if you are trying to solve it, it actually could create some problems for your firm in the future if you do need to pivot or if you do need to exchange, you know, change your system or if you have too many competitors providing free socks now, you know, when you buy buy one, get one.
2: Yeah, well, we're we're coming up against our break, but one of the things I I was uh, talking to my mentor this morning, and and in a way, what you're saying, Kimberly, is sometimes these organizations end up becoming self perpetuating. So, just by way of a a tangential example, you know, the March of Dimes was created to to solve the problem of of polio, it's still around, polio's gone.
5: right
2: right <laughs> you know they should have wrapped things up but they, you know they and but it became about you know what what uh, i love the phrase self-licking ice cream cone right it was <laughs> it had to had to figure out a way to, to continue on but we are against our break. Want to remind you, you can contact us by sending that email to asktsoe at varisage.com and the website, The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes, previews to upcoming shows. Do you want to uh, do a shout out to one of our patrons, Geraldine Carter, at Smart Strategy for CPA's podcast. That's can be found at sheThinksbigcoaching.com. But right now, a word from our sponsors. <laughs>
3: Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa,
5: play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn.
2: Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients.
5: Commercials, plus bonus content go to patreon.com TSOE subscribe now and be free you're worth it
0: This is the voice america influencers channel be inspired You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
1: Well, welcome back, everybody. We're doing our Social Entrepreneurship Summit with Dr. Kimberly Josephson and Sam Staley. And, Kimberly, I guess I'll throw this one at you, and then, Sam, you can weigh in on it, but... Do you how does social entrepreneurship inter- And we were just talking about this on the break. But how does social inter- entrepreneurship interact with the nonprofit sector? And Kimberly, do you have concerns that it could contaminate that sector and make it less effective?
3: Yeah. So great question. The nonprofit sector actually, um, just kind of fun fact, it's actually the third largest uh, work for work excuse me, workforce employer in the United States, right behind manufacturing and retailing. So the nonprofit sector is huge. Um, that being said, it is difficult to start a nonprofit. I think the cycle time for actually getting it up and running is a year, if not more, um, because it has tax exempt status, right? There- Pretty strict on things, and it's no fun filling out the paperwork. Um, So, actually, a lot of social entrepreneurs do look into, um, you know, yeah, going with the for profit model because it is an easier startup in that regard. Um, and also something that we could talk about is even what is a benefit corporation and what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but also my biggest concern with social entrepreneurship is really what is social, right? What I feel maybe is a social problem or a social need um, or a social good might vary from someone else. Um, and sometimes good intentions don't always have good outcomes. Um, So something that you had mentioned is that I'm I'm a research fellow for the Consumer Choice Center. And um, on their podcast recently, they had a professor who was talking about um, how, you know, the use of herbicides is something that really needs to be carefully considered. Uh, On the one hand, you have people who um, want to ban the use of it. Whereas on the other on the other end, you know, herbicides were created as to fulfill a need um, so we could have higher Yield crops, and so that they that way we don't have to um, have so much energy and effort into weeding, um, you know, our our fields, and also even tilling soil um, and creating more runoff. So using herbicides in like proper form and you know amounts is actually you know that's okay, and that was created for that that purpose. Um, but you have people who are very concerned with you know, well, this is a chemical, and this is causing environmental. Whereas really, if you were to get rid of it, it could. Create more environmental problems. So sometimes, you know, we have people who get very passionate about a cause or so. And even something else that we talked about, um, you know, Tom Shoes, uh, kind of other fun fact was uh, Tom Shoes uh, did, and I think this was once again around maybe 2010, 2011, um, did a Participated in an event hosted by Focus on the Family, which is a conservative Christian group. And after the fact, Tom Shoes got in so much trouble for being part of this event that they came out with an apology, right? And so you have some people who'd say, Hey, focus on the family. This is a great organization. It's wonderful that Tom's going to be involved with, right? But then here they had to come out with an apology saying, Oh, we're so sorry you're part. So this is, these are my concerns, is when you focus on a social problem, um, you know, you you might be going into a realm that's still unknown. And and also even in regards to the benefit corporation. So if if you want to be recognized as a benefit corporation, it makes sense for you to get certified by the B Lab. And the B Lab, oddly enough, is a nonprofit organization right? But even nonprofits have incentives, right? And and to some extent, the incentives are a little bit perverse because for the B Lab, it is in their interest to get as many members that they can certify um, because really membership fees vary from about, fifth, uh, yeah, about uh, 500 to about 50,000, depending on the size and scope of the organization. Uh, members have to fill out this huge questionnaire. They have to have an assessment done every two years, right? Just so they can put this little stamp on their packaging saying, I'm a B-Lab, right? And so um, actually a a big thing right now is in the dairy industry, a lot of um, organizations are getting certified. So Dan and um, uh, Stonyfield, I think is the other one. They have B-Lab certification. Um, I know know an entrepreneur who makes amazing Bulgarian yogurt and is having a hard time. It's called Tremona yogurt and it's really good and, and it's super healthy for you, right? And just the fact that it's healthy for you, a good product tastes well, to me, that's a social good, right? Um, I don't know if he's going to seek out this B-Lab certification, but since all of his competitors are, and he's trying to be a new entrant to the market, it's making it all that more difficult for him to get Whole Foods to carry his product. Another kind of funny example with the dairy industry, I don't know if you saw in the news, Chobani, Greek yogurt giant, um, just recently, uh, I think it was in May, maybe of last year, um, achieved Fair Trade USA certification status. Well, members of the Fair Trade movement are suing Chobani, saying Fair Trade USA doesn't go far enough in ensuring fair labor practices and standards. And so, you even have those within that movement, the Fair Trade sector, you have competing certification systems who are now kind of, you know, eating alive each other. Right. So I I'm, I'm all for businesses acting ethically and doing good. And once again, if you are an entrepreneur and you are trying to sol- solve a social problem, you know, yeah, you know, go at it as best you can. But I'm not a fan of these certification systems and having this oversight. And also, you know, the fact that you have maybe the B-Lab certifying that you're you know achieving the social good. Well, who's checking the B-Lab? Right? Who watches the That's,
2: watchmen? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So so like Sam, I do you re- some re- react to that?
3: Yeah,
4: I mean, so I think a lot of what Kimberly's talking about is is also Im- important just in general management. In other words, as a business or any enterprise, you have to stay focused on what your goal is. What are, what product or service are you providing? And there are all these distractions that can come with it. If you end up going for a certification that has no real value or benefit then you're just diverting resources away from the core of the business. So there are sometimes when it makes sense, sometimes it isn't. I think I'm like Kimberly, I'm, skip- Kimberly, I'm skeptical of these certifications. <laughs> On the other hand, I'm not skeptical of the importance of addressing certain problems and issues. And that I, I'm convinced that there, they need to be addressed and there can be addressed, but it has to be done in an entrepreneurial market-based way. And we spend time talking about impact in other words we uh, we well, i mean we talk about two bottom lines but very often we'll talk about three bottom lines what you have to first make money if you can't make money you're really not creating the social value you need and you're not sustainable the other bottom line is what is your social impact in other words you if you're if you've created a coffee shop that's integrating um somalia uh, some uh somali refugees into the community how many refugees are you actually integrating into the community, and is it sustainable? If you're creating a a business that's trying to reintegrate homeless people into sustainable housing and into the mainstream community, how many people are you actually moving? And the other part, the third bottom line, is typically environmental, which I think is a lot harder to measure and a lot harder to identify impact, but uh, particularly at certain scales. But even then, we can do that depending on how you you sort of set, how you set it up the business. I am actually not a fan of nonprofit organizations, particularly in an entrepreneurial con- context. I do believe there's a need for land or philanthropy. I do believe there are, there are certain things we just don't want to be run by a for profit. I do not think think tanks should be for profit. I think they should be nonprofit. I think, as someone who's worked in that space for decades, the importance of separating funders from the actual policy conclusions is really crucial. And I don't think you can be sustained because otherwise you're a consultant firm. And at which point you've got an interest you're serving in a different way, but they should have clear missions. But the, something that Kimberly didn't mention what I think is important and why I'm so skeptical of nonprofits, it's not just the startup, which is hard. It's the governance, which is hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so all of our enterprises, when we talk about our, our social entrepreneurs, we say start up as a for profit. And it becomes very clear when they're working with their business models why. Because if you have five bosses or seven bosses or 13 bosses, which comes with a board of directors, your ability to be nimble and pivot and address some of the things that Kimberly talked about earlier about what happens when you scale and you've, you've sort of saturated the, the issue that you want to address, but you still have a viable business and you want to, you need to be able to pivot. And so, And I tell my students this all the time, nonprofit is a tax status, it's not a business model. And you may need to be a nonprofit. If you're doing doing innovative curriculum in in K through 12 schools, you probably are gonna have to become a nonprofit. But it's not because that makes you viable, it's because the schools won't work with you unless you're a nonprofit. They won't work with a for-profit business. And so I think that management is crucial, the ability to be nimble and to be able to pivot quickly is critical, particularly in those early stages of startup and getting venture capital and trying to get going. Um, and then once you go public, and this is sort of what I think Kimberly was referring to with these B corporations, or if you are actually once, not B corporations, but once you go public, you got a whole nother set of problems. And if your DNA of the business is not solid, you're going to run into problems. And your you're likelihood of being sustainable as an independent entity are, is probably pretty low.
3: Yeah, Sam, I I would say also I agree with you. I'm not the biggest fan of nonprofits, too. Actually, when I first heard about uh, Michael Porter's concept of shared value, I was very excited thinking it was something that, okay, we're going to convert the nonprofits closer to for-profits. Actually, what we see is more for-profits wanting and acting and, as you say, trying to embed in their DNA that. Purpose, motive, um, and once again, all organizations—they do have a purpose. Um, I just worry with these social entrepreneurship pro- uh, programs. Just teach entrepreneurship, right? I, I don't know why you have to put that social element in it. If you want to open up, you know, uh, some a development or housing or whatever for for refugees, yeah. But but do just learn the entrepreneurship aspect of it and really focus on on that first and foremost. Um, I guess also, too, my concern is how this positions, because uh, young people are impressionable, right? So my business students, I work really hard to make sure that they know that it is so important, the field that they're going into, and that they should be proud to make a profit, and that that wealth, wealth creation in, increases their quality of life and the community's quality of life. I mean, to be honest, um, to me, just, just a few minutes ago, I was loading up my dishwasher, Oh, my goodness, that is a social good to me, saving my time, right? <laughs> Whoever came up with that invention has made my life all that much better, right? Mm-hmm. So That's a
2: just, great, great point. So one of the things that we, we've, we've often quoted here, the, the, the study from uh, William Nordhaus that says, you know, entrepreneurs only keep roughly 2% of the wealth that they create. and that you, right. So you actually multiply their wealth by 49 if you want to get an understanding of what they've done for society. But we are up against our last break. I want to remind you, you can contact Ron or me by saying, Sending that email to ask, T-S-O-E, at verisage.com, and please visit our website, thesoulofenterprise.com. We now have uh, merch, so if you want to go to thesoulofenterprise.com slash merch, we're happy to sell you a one lovely uh, T-shirt, coffee mug, and a couple of other items out there. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage.
0: Us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
2: Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients.
5: Hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the diamond-water paradox. Go to Patreon.com/tsoe and subscribe today, please. For the love of God, make it stop! Have you listened to so many of my ads that it's corroded your soul? I absolutely have. What if I told you that you could listen to my voice for an entire podcast? I'd say that approximately half of the podcast is actually my voice. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. And I'm Caleb Newquist. We're launching a new podcast called Oh My Fraud. Ron and Ed explore the soul of enterprise. Caleb and I explore fraud, which is more like the herpes of enterprise. Go to wherever you get your podcasts and download
2: And we are back in our Social Entrepreneur Summit with Kimberly Josephson and Sam Staley. And I'm, I'm going to go a different place. I'm going to go a little different place on, on both of you. Sam, I know that we uh, did our show with you and, and focused on your book on the Beatles and get it didn't get a chance to talk with you much about your work in China. Um, and one of the things that Ron and I have been banging our... Spoon on our high chair about for a long time uh, is the whole. uh, You know, we we see a lot of these these uh, social entrepreneurs, not social entrepreneurs, companies, larger companies that are you know uh, complaining about all of the different things that happen in the United States, and um, we're not going to do business here, we're not going to do business there, but seem to be totally okay with going to China. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So react to that. Talk a little bit about the what I think is hypocrisy, but maybe maybe I'm pushing it too much.
4: Um, You know, I don't spend a lot of time talking about the corporate sector, largely because I think there is hypocrisy um, that drives a lot of it. And I think it's also because of the incentives. So, in other words, you do work in China. You actually have to follow the Chinese government rules. And then you have to position yourself politically in a way that you can actually make those investments happen. And, again, the sort of, I, I guess, having worked in the nonprofit sector, I just see so little of the corporate philanthropy being as effective as it should be. And, so, and I, frankly, I don't see a lot of the corporations really paying enough attention to their philanthropy. And that really has bothered me for a long time. And I think that's one reason why I'm so motivated to think about social entrepreneurship. In other words, let's not wait for XYZ Corporation to discover how much good we're doing and give us money. Let's try to create something of value. That allows us to create a sustainable revenue stream that can now be channeled into the goods and the things we think are important, but then also make sure we're measuring that impact as well. And so it's a China, you know, I, I don't know how uh, how much you know, but I, um, I went to China as part of a project because we were trying, we were doing research to look at private investment in infrastructure. And so I first started going over there. I've done work in China, or at least tangential, uh, in China adjacent since the 90s, um, in real estate and property markets, doing some work in uh, Hong Kong very early on in my career. And then in 2007, I think we started a project that took me to China quite a bit. And But by that time, we uh, we could see that this was not a, a real free market. This was not – this the already the Chinese government was stepping back away from markets, and we saw that that clearly started happening in the mid-90s. It just wasn't very visible or seen by the public or the West very well. So I'm not at all surprised at what we're seeing in China right now under Xi Jinping. And then also a lot of Western companies just got taken um, simply because they didn't understand the culture, um, they didn't understand the environment in which they're working, they came with a Western mindset, not a Asian mindset, let alone a Chinese mindset. And uh, they just uh, they lost their shirts, Um, and it's probably another reason why uh, for me the social entrepreneurship component is more indigenous. It's more grounded. It's more focused on. It starts with the problem. It doesn't start with trying the negotiation. It doesn't start with the contract. It actually starts with the problem, and how do we solve that problem through an enterprise model? Sure, Kimberly.
3: Yeah, well, and also how you were saying, you know, it's so important to understand the context and the culture in which you're operating as well as the legality, right? And and this also is somewhat of my concern in regards to, imposing that kind of social element to it because, you know, what we view as being culturally acceptable is different in a different context. Right. Um, and even in regards to once again, social matters, am I going to buy my produce from the third world to, to help poor farmers or am I going to shop local because that's the right thing to do and buy USA. Right. So you have these competing initiatives. So it really does have to go back to the value to the consumer. Right. Uh, social entrepreneurship is really looking to position the, uh, entrepreneur as a social agent and it's someone who can uh, enact change rather than a business which is really meant to serve the markets and the needs of their consumer base and they essentially drive that value creation because when you see that you are profiting and you see that your revenues are going well that sends a signal whereas you know i'm not really a fan of, of trying to make individuals agents of empowerment um through you know what they think is best to solve this problem. I'm much more of a grassroots, from the ground up, type of approach. So once again, how I said, uh, you know, instead of an organization, um, you know, promoting uh, a certain social cause, you, no, just you know, put that back in the organization. So wealth creation is so important. Um, the more you can give to your employees, the more you can reinvest and grow the the firm. The more you can generate that. Um, that actually does have a spillover effect, and then it also keeps you in your wheelhouse, your area of core competency. Um, I'm I'm concerned that I see my business students who come into the classroom and their desire to, hey, I really want to, you know, uh, you know, open my own business for this, has changed into more of, I'd like to create a cafe that provides free coffee for those in need, right? Which is <laughs> yeah. lovely. That's lovely, but it's not sustainable, you know, and it and it kind of hurts, right? And and there's is that famous saying to you know like the best way and this is going to sound crass but you know the best way to help the poor is also to not be them and that's true so it the more wealth you can generate for yourself i mean even for myself if i if we are doing well uh just r- speaking of nonprofits, right i was able to buy a ton of girl scout cookie boxes right um and which is girl counts girl scout cookies i uh, do quite well i think they make about eight yeah in terms of sales 800 million i think a year like oreos is aware that their sales go down when girls Sc- <laughs> Girl scout cookies are being sold so they actually build that into their model so yeah so that's just something that you know i i don't like to i'd rather just focus on entrepreneurship and if a student does want to focus on that social impact by all means but let's sure. stick to what is the
2: the heart of the matter sure sam final thoughts
4: Oh, yeah. Actually, I'm going to push back a little bit against uh, uh, against some of Kimberly's thoughts there. Now, we actually might be in agreement. We're just using different language again someplace. I think entrepreneurs are motivated by value. I, I don't think there are very few of them that I've run into, and I've, literally, I've interviewed scores of them, and I come from a small business background, my own family business. Every, almost every entrepreneur I know has been motivated by creating some kind of value. That value may be monetized through a particular product or service there were very few of them are ever motivated to create a particular product, unless it is solving a problem. And so they're very, they're very much problem solvers. So I don't see the distinction between social value and sort of regular market value or product
3: is- And if that's the case, term. just teach entrepreneurship.
4: Well, actually there's a whole nother segment we can talk about that. I'm in, I'm in a college of social sciences.
3: Right. Um, it,
4: it's a well, very we- different environment than a business school. And um, I would say that I am teaching them entrepreneurship.
1: Good. And well, this, this has, has been, that, that, been outstanding. Ron, what do we got coming next week? Next week, Ed, is tax day. So we have Cato's Chris Edwards to come back and talk to us about all things IRS, tax gap, and all that fun stuff.
2: Well, that'll be fun. Well, I'll see you in 167 hours.
1: This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at noon Pacific time. We will have on Cato's Chris Edwards back on, I should say. In the meantime, check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com. We'll post full show notes with our conversation today on social entrepreneurship with Kimberly Josephson and Sam Staley. And you can also contact me or Ed at ask. T-S-O-E, thebearsage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next week.